So my mom was, is, was, is, and forever will be an amazing gift giver. How many of you have parents who are good gift givers? How many of you have parents who aren't the best gift givers? Eh, a few of you. All right. Uh, early 80s, the first half of the 80s, can't remember the year, but the, the item that boys wanted was Castle Skull. Castle Skull was a He-Man uh, toy. It was, I don't know what it was like to get Castle Skull here in Massachusetts, in Georgia, it was next to impossible. And my mom got a, a call on the phone. There's going to be some in Atlanta. Go to this mall at this time. And she and my grandfather's four cell phones and all that, she's a single mom. She gets in the car. She drives two hours one way to this mall to try to find the ever-elusive Castle Grayskull. Gets there, and there is not one to be had. And man, my mom worked really hard to always make sure that we had everything we wanted or needed. And so she was crestfallen and went home and got a call from a friend who said, I just came into two Castle Grayskulls and I heard you might want one. Would you like it? And she didn't like price gouge my mom's a Christmas miracle, right? Uh, it was back in a simpler time when people were less evil than they are today. And, uh, and so she sold this thing to my mom at cost, and, uh, and I was able to get a Castle Grey skull. Now, even now, 35 years later, every year, I still hear the story of the Christmas miracle, not of baby Jesus. Not of baby Jesus only, but of the Castle Grayskull miracle. My mom was so proud that she, like, I was so excited. I remember on, on Christmas morning, we, would, we did Christmas at my grandparents' house. I remember opening that. My brother was too little for there to be like a present competition at that point, And just thinking, my mom loves me the most. And it's still true. My mom still loves me the most out of, uh, out of the two of us, right? But man, that Castle Grayskull, I believe we still have it. I think it's still in the attic to this day. That was truly a Christmas miracle. She was so proud. She was so delighted to give it to me. She still tells that story. I don't know if, if your parents are like this, but it's not just that you open presents and gifts with your parents. It's that you also have to hear the story behind how much trouble they went to to get you that gift or the bargain they found. Alicia does that. Alicia does that. Oh, baby, I saved $15 on this uh, $18 gift, on this gift. You know, we hear the story of the miracle of getting these gifts. And whether it's over the years been Furby, I mean, some of these gifts that were the hard-to-get gift are just so ridiculous. Like, for some people, it was Furby. Uh, one year, it was Tickle Me Elmo. My kids see that thing even now, and they punch it in the face. Uh, when I was a kid, it was Cabbage Patch Dolls. Not for, not for me, but Cabbage Patch Dolls was the thing. Uh, iPods, when those were early on, those were a big deal. I remember getting a Nintendo that first year when Nintendos were a big deal. Uh, and we just thought, I mean, my cousins had Ataris, and here we came in Nintendo, and we thought that we literally were the richest kids in the city of Warner Robins, Georgia. Like, we were huge. These were big, big gifts. Every year, there's the big gift. You know what I mean? Like, the gift that everybody will move heaven and earth to try to get. And I want to tell you today that Jesus, we've been going through a series over the last month where the first uh, Sunday we talked about the ugly sweater, and then it was the white elephant gift, and then last week was socks and underwear, the, God, the gifts that God gives into our life that we need but may not want to. Today I want us to talk about the big gift. I want to tell you right up front, if you hear nothing else today, hear this. Jesus is God's big gift. Like Jesus is God's big gift to humanity. Now I want to read, I want you to read with me, if you will, the traditional Christmas story in Luke 2. Luke is a, Luke was a doctor uh, who did a lot of his um, 
sort of during and after his career of being a doctor, he traveled around with the Apostle Paul, planting churches in a lot of the cities around the Roman Empire. That was how he sort of came into a lot of these stories. And so because he's traveling with Apostle Paul and he's interacting with the, the people who were the followers of Jesus and even with Jesus' mom, Mary, uh, he's getting these, this information. He's giving us this story that we get. And so Mary is more than likely Paul, uh, Luke's source in Luke. And so Luke wrote Luke, which is the biography of Jesus. And then if you've ever heard of the Bible book of Acts, he wrote Acts, which is kind of the biography of the early church and the biography of God's spirit coming and living in and living among uh, his people. And so this is going to be Luke's account of Jesus's birth and understand that Mary is, and the early followers are more than likely the source. This is written about probably less than 30 years after Jesus was crucified, buried, and resurrected. And so Luke says this, if you've got the paper Bible, it's page 500 or page, I believe, 949, starting in verse 1 of Luke chapter 2. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration or census when Quirinius was governor of Syria. It's a real guy who was a real governor at a real time in history. Uh, That's one thing that's so great about Luke is he's very specific with numbers as a doctor and names. You know, he probably wrote like a doctor and scribbled this down almost illegibly, but he's getting the facts right. Like he gives you very specific facts. He's going to set the birth of Jesus in time at a very specific uh, time in the history of humanity. So when Quirinius was governor of Syria, verse 3, and everyone, because of Caesar's command, went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David. So let me give you some context. Uh, The nation of Israel, uh, even to this day, is kind of long and skinny, right? It's got the Mediterranean Sea on one side and the Jordan River and the Dead Sea on the other side. And in between them, the nation was like this. And the northern part was Galilee and the town of Nazareth. And that's where Jesus' family was from, where they were living when this happened. It was kind of the, the country bumpkin part of the nation of Israel. Like This would be like city people saying, oh, Jesus' family was out in western Massachusetts, but not along the pike, like way out in the country part where you have to drive a long ways to get to and they don't even have Dunkin' Donuts. Like That's where Jesus is coming from, but his family has to go from up here in the Galilee, the town of Nazareth, down to Judea, down near five miles from Jerusalem to the city of Bethlehem. That's where Joseph's people are from. They're descendants of King David. Bethlehem is the city of David. And so they go down while she's nine months pregnant. They make this trip down to this city uh, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Verse 5, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, his engaged. They were sort of legally married but hadn't at this point consummated the marriage because she was with child. We, We saw in Luke 1 that the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and she became pregnant even as a virgin to give birth to the Son of God. Verse 6, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Verse 8, and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled, filled with fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, verse 14, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. We're going to read four more verses here. Verse 15, when the angels went away from them to heaven, the shepherds then said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. They went in a hurry. They didn't waste time and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. They weren't all lying there, just the baby. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told him. Now I want us to... If you're like me, when I hear this story, I see every nativity set that I've ever grown up with. Like, how many of you hear this and you see the little nativity sets? I can see the nativity set at my grandparents' house on Hallwood Circle in Macon, Georgia, under their fake Christmas tree with its ugly tinsel and about 25 Christmas lights on it. Like, I can see that nativity set. That was more important to them even than the tree was. And I can see the different figures, and I can hear all the parts of the story. And it's easy almost to get lost in all the other stuff. It's easy uh, on some level to get lost in this idea of the Caesar, who is a crazy, powerful uh, ruler of the entire Roman world. Everything that was known to a person in what we would today call Western culture was under the reign of Caesar Augustus. And so he's powerful enough to order everyone from far Western Europe on the Atlantic Ocean all the way almost to India to say, go back to the town you came from and we're going to take a census. We're going to register you. And everybody has to do it. And so they all go. It was a real man. And this was a real event. And then we can, I can totally see under my grandparents' tree, Joseph, and I can see Mary, who were there, this Jewish couple living in this backwoods part of the Roman Empire. A real couple at a real time, in real cities, in real human history. And then I can see the shepherds. Can you like, I can see them with their staff. I can see the little statue sheep that my grandparents had. I can see all of it. These are nobodies. Desheen and Dowdy read a couple of weeks ago the the Advent devotion. It was talking about how the shepherds were nobodies. These were third shift nobodies. And yet they're recipients of the greatest birth announcement in human history. Now, I love watching old cartoons and old television shows when the family would uh, have a baby and, and the husband would be out in the waiting room. He didn't have to go into the room and see all that nonsense, right? He just got to sit out there and smoke cigars. And when my kids were born, I just wanted a blue candy bubblegum cigar. I just wanted to sit in the lobby. I didn't want to be in there with the umbilical cords and the mess. I didn't want any part of any of that. The birth announcement was that blue bubblegum cigar and some pats on the back. And here is the Son of God being born with the greatest birth announcement of all time. Angels are parting the heaven. Guys are just working in the middle of the night, doing their thing, listening to the bleeding of sheep. And here the skies open, and here is an angel giving them the greatest birth announcement ever. And then I can see the angels. My grandparents' nativity set had a little stick that came up out of the center, and there's an angel sitting propped up on top of the stick. And here's these angels, these messengers. And in most of the most of the angels of my upbringing, my kids ask about angels all the time because. Uh, in their mind, they have halos and corny-looking wings, 
and uh, and then they have uh, and, and they're basically just wear diapers and they look like babies. You know, that's most angels as they see them in culture. Listen, the word the in, in the Bible, whenever an angel shows up, the the immediate thing that the first thing an angel always says every time is fear not, don't be afraid. So whatever this angel looks like. He does not look like a naked baby in a diaper with tiny little fluttering wings, right? And so the angel shows up and says, fear not. Don't be afraid. There's these angels, these messengers. Theologians would say that angels are God's army. And one gives the good news, the birth announcement. And then it says, literally, the heavens would be full and there would be light everywhere. And they're saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased God's supernatural powerful army split the sky and then there's the manger and I can still see that little uh little feed trough that my grandparents had at their house they had the little fake hay in it and baby Jesus laying in it and his swaddling clothes and it's humble and this surely doesn't seem like the place that you would put the son of God if he's born into human history but I don't want us to get fixated on the details Here's what I want us to fixate on today is baby Jesus. All the other stuff's just props. Everything else in that nativity set is just a prop. Baby Jesus is the gift. He's the star. And I want to tell you four things that the angels say of that gift of baby Jesus. Let me just share four things that they say. One, they say this is good news of great joy. Now, I'm going to say a word, and I want you to give me, I just want to watch your response. Religion. Man, how does religion sound? Does that sound fun? Religion to me sounds miserable. It sounds like guilt trips. It sounds like to-do lists. It sounds like the exact opposite of the good news of great joy. And so of Jesus' birth, the angels say, I have good news of great joy. He says, I've got to tell you about this. And then he says, it's for all people. You know what I love about our church? Four months ago, Coach Coleman, who's just walking in the door, good to see you, Merry Christmas, love you, perfect timing, and I were having uh, coffee, and he said, what would it look like for the guys on our team to come and begin to worship here? And so on September 15th, the day will forever live in my mind, uh, some of the basketball players began to come and worship with us here at our church, and not just worship with us, you guys are part of our church. And the thing I love about our church that happened this year, our church became... uh, Less white and less my age. You know what I mean? You guys haven't been here in four months. It looks different than it looked four months ago, doesn't it? Praise God. It's because of your faith and your guys' commitment to be here. The good news of Jesus is not just for white people or for brown people or for people with yellow skin. For, it's not, it, the good news, the angel said, is for everybody, for all ages, Man, I loved watching Hazel. I was literally afraid Hazel was going to light her hair on fire there for a minute. Was anybody else nervous about that? Yeah, good. And then she tried to, like, choke uh, John Knox, which was awesome. Uh, and we still got the message. It was so good. I, like, John Knox reading that was amazing. Wasn't that sweet? So good. The good news of the gospel is for everybody, from Hazel down to Bryn, the youngest little baby in our church, up to this most senior saint here today. The good news is for people who came from religious backgrounds and who didn't. People who went to church and who didn't. People who are good people and people who are bad people. For people everywhere who speak every language, who have every upbringing. The angel said this news is for all 
people. Everyone's getting the gift. It's like Oprah's favorite things. Did you guys remember, you remember that? Like, I loved it. Whether you were sitting on the front row or the back row, you were getting that refrigerator. You know what I mean? It's amazing. It's like, God, I just want to be in that audience. The angel says, whether you're on the front row or the back row in, in the world's economy, you're getting the gift. It's for all people. And then he says, there is a savior, the Christ, the Messiah who is born. A savior has been born tonight. It's not just a baby. It's a baby, as the Carmody's read, who came. Christmas Day looks forward to Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday, Easter. The baby came to die, to be the savior for everybody. And so then the, the angels say, peace on earth, peace in us and peace among us. Peace in us and peace among us. Now, at Christ Church Charlestown, we have never to this day, but we may one day, we've never passed the peace like they do in a lot of churches. But there's something really beautiful about that. Peace of Christ to you. Peace of Christ to you. Because what baby Jesus came to do was to establish God's peace in our hearts and among our hearts. And it's so easy at Christmas not to experience peace. You know what I mean? I see a lot of people, not just at this season, but at all the seasons, who say, man, I feel like there's got to be more. I think there's a God. I want to believe there is. I want to know that there's something more than this. I think that it's, I think there's more. And the angel says, God, for those who feel that restlessness, came to bring peace in our hearts and among us. But here becomes the problem. I think we have the slide up for this. Here's our problem. We are better givers than we are receivers. We tend to be better givers than we are receivers. Now, in one sense, that's nice because Jesus said it's better to give than to receive. And so we like that. Like, we like doing that. But we're not good receivers. If someone gives us a gift, we have a hard time not saying, oh, man, what did that cost? Now I'm going to have to go and buy a gift of similar price and get it for them, and it's all got to be equal. You know what I mean? It's because we're better givers than receivers. It's hard for us just to receive. I love Big Bang Theory. It's one of my favorite shows of all time. If you've never watched it, my favorite episode ever. It's actually just one segment of my favorite episode ever on Big Bang Theory. Is, uh, I think it's like season two, and Sheldon believes in reciprocity. So if he gets a gift that costs $5... He has to give a gift that costs $5. If he gets a gift that costs $50, he has to give a gift that costs $50. And his brain can't stop itching until he does. And so Penny, their neighbor, gives him a napkin that is signed by Leonard Nimoy, who is one of his heroes, right? And he has bought all of these uh, baskets from Bed Bath & Beyond to give Penny... Uh, and he's going, and they're all different sizes, right? And so he's going to get, if the gift she buys him, he knows she's giving a gift. If it costs $50, he's got one basket. If it's $10, he's got another basket. Well, he, she gives him this napkin signed by Leonard Nimoy, and he melts down. He starts shaking. His eyes starts twitching. And he goes back in the back, and he brings out every basket. And she goes, Sheldon, and he goes, I know it's not enough. In his mind, that napkin was worth hundreds of dollars in all the gift baskets. And that's how we can be. There's something in us that's better at giving than receiving, which is a nice trait with one another, but we don't want that with God. We don't want that with God. We, what we end up doing is trying to do something for God. And there's a word for that. When we try to do something for God, the word for that is religion. Or Jesus a lot of times calls it empty religion. 
See, I think religion is not, it gets kind of a bad rap in our day. If religion is something that reminds us that we can't work our way to God, that Jesus is God's gift, and we can't do anything to add to that gift or take away from it, then religion is not a bad word. But when religion says, i got to pray so that God will give me grace, then it's bad. When religion says, i got to go to church, and if I go to church, then God will be less disappointed with me And if I don't go to church, then religion is bad. That's bringing a gift to God. And the problem is we are not made to be givers. We're made to be receivers. If we think, boy, I was moral this week, so God loves me. But last week, if God heard the way I talked, right? When we think like that, we're constantly trying to keep the scales even. We're trying to offer something to God. We're working for God, doing for God, hoping our good will outweigh our bad. It sees us as being rich. And the truth is, if we think about God in heaven who created everything and runs the universe and lives in heaven and is all-powerful and all-knowing, what could we possibly bring to him that would be of value? Truly. So I want to read you a poem by Oscar Romero, if I can. I love this. I think it encapsulates this idea. No one can celebrate a genuine Christmas without being truly poor. The self-sufficient, the proud, those who, because they have everything, look down on others. Those who have no need even of God, for them there will be no Christmas. Only the poor, the hungry, those who need someone to come on their behalf will have that someone. That someone is God, Emmanuel, God with us. Without poverty of spirit, there can be no abundance of God. Without poverty of spirit, there can be no abundance for God. So if the word for giving gifts to God is religion, Can I tell you the word for receiving gifts from God? It's grace. Man, it's grace. It's my favorite word, I think, in the entire English language. It's grace. That night, those shepherds went to receive grace from baby Jesus. They didn't earn the invite, but they were invited nonetheless, and so they went. It reminds me of the Christina Rossetti uh, Christmas carol called In the Bleak Midwinter. The last verse of it says this, What else can I give him? Poor as I am, if I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. What can I bring him? I give him my heart. Man, I give him my heart. All I can bring to God is myself. That's all I'm bringing. He's done everything. I'm going to receive what he offers and give him my heart. So how do we do that? One, I think we have to confess need. We have to confess need, and we don't like doing this. We don't like doing this. We don't like admitting we need something. I hate asking for help. I'm horrible at it. One of my resolutions for 2020 is to do better at asking people to help where they are gifted. Jamie came over to the house the other day. Jamie and Barb make up the stewardship team here at the church. And Jamie said, listen, you've been doing this and you are done doing it. We are taking it from you. It was awesome. It was such a gift for him to do that. I don't like to confess need. And we don't even like to confess need toward God, but we must. People who receive gifts must acknowledge need. Romans 3.23 says that all sin and fall short of God's glory were all in need of help from God. And so the, the shepherds were willing to go and find the Savior because they knew they needed a Savior. The second thing we have to do is we have to receive the gift. We have to confess the need that we Uh, need the gift, then we receive the gift. We have to receive it. I'm horrible at receiving gifts. I'm so awkward. Are any of you good gift openers? My grandmother, God rest her soul, 
Every gift she ever opened, you could give her something that came from the dollar store, and she would, she would just get this light on her face because she didn't get much coming up. She'd be like, ooh. That's the sound she made. Every Christmas to this day when my brother opens a gift, at least one of the gifts, he is going to make that sound in honor of my grandmother, and my mom is going to love it. Like, I, on the other hand, would be fine if I could just get my presents, go back here behind this wall, and open them alone, and then come out and be like, man, thanks. That meant a lot. Like, I don't like, oh, I don't like to receive gifts in front of people, but can I tell you something about following Jesus? I love receiving grace. I love receiving grace. Man, I haven't, uh, in the last month, it's been so busy. I feel like I haven't just spent time with God like I should. And a couple times in the last couple days, I've just gotten, it's been quiet. And I've gotten up and just sat down the my Bible and just sat there. And at first felt like I had to say, God, forgive me. I did this and tear up, da, da, da. And God just has washed over me and, and just reminded me that he loves me. And in that moment, you know what I say? Thank you, God, that you love me. And you don't love me more if I pray more or less if I pray less. You don't love me more if I go to church or read the Bible more. You don't love me less if I don't. I love receiving grace from God. Grace is God giving me what I don't deserve through Jesus' death on the cross. I'll never, never earn it, but grace is changing me. And so here becomes the beautiful thing. I think we have a slide for this. Here's what God is calling us to, is a gift exchange. God calls us to a gift exchange. Jesus is not to be an add-on in our life. Now, I know some of you, and I love you. I'm so proud and excited that some of you are here for the first time today. I know you, and I know your heart, and I know you want to please God. I know there's something in you, if you're not careful, that will say, man, I've got to do this thing for God. And I want to tell you today, you don't. Jesus isn't a tack-on. Like, you're not going to do your life and then add Jesus in. It's not how it works. He's God. He doesn't need the little stuff we would bring. The boys made Natalie and I, they make us cards, and I love them. I'll hang on to them forever. They have value to us because they come from my kids. They don't actually have value, right? When we try to bring our effort to God to please him, it's like those drawings that my kids do. It's beautiful, and I appreciate it. But it doesn't bring anything. It doesn't bring anything to God. Rather, so what we do, instead of bringing our little stuff and trying to add Jesus on, we bring our whole self. Like the shepherds, we bring everything right there before Jesus. Matthew 13, 45 through 46 just says this. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold everything he had, and he bought it. God is Jesus is God's big gift to you this Christmas. If God could give you one present this Christmas, it's Jesus. If he could give you one present this Christmas, it's Jesus. The question is, have you received him or are you trying to give God something? To receive Jesus, we have to stop trying to give him anything. To receive him, we stop trying to give him stuff. He doesn't need it. He's God. He just wants us. And so I want to encourage you with this question. This Christmas, what if your big gift to God is you? What if your big gift to God this Christmas, the big gift, what if your castle grace goal you're going to bring to God is just you? It's just you. What if you said, God, I need you. 
I receive you. I receive forgiveness. I receive relationship through Jesus. And you exchanged everything. Here's the good news. Here's the good news. You are God's big gift this year for Christmas. You are, if God had a Christmas list, you are number one. And there is no number two. You are what God wants for Christmas. So I want to ask you, what would keep you from giving your life to Jesus today? Now I want to tell you, as a church, um, well, let me, let me say this. We're going to pray, and then we're going to receive communion, and then we are going to, um, I'm going to ask you to do a couple of things. But there's a couple ways you can respond today. There's a couple of things I want you to do in response. Thing one is this. If you've never given your life to Jesus and you say, hmm, that actually makes sense that God doesn't need anything from me, but he wants to offer himself to me. I'm going to lead us in a prayer in a moment, and there's no magic words. It's not like being at Hogwarts where we get the words right and then we all get the spell. It's not like that. But I am going to lead you in a prayer, and if you want to give your life to Jesus and give yourself completely to Jesus and be what our tradition calls being born again, if you want to become a follower of Jesus, not going to do anything weird today, I just want to encourage you in the quietness of your heart, not out loud, to pray and ask God as I lead you in a prayer, God, I give myself to you. The second thing I want to encourage you to do, and this is for all of us, there are five candles here on this, the Advent candle. Advent just means coming. That's all it means. We're looking forward to the coming of Jesus. And so he's so close. On Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, we will celebrate him coming. And on the back table back there, you'll see today, you'll see bags, all right? And there's candles in them. And then there's a devotion similar to what was read today for Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. And this is our gift to every household. We'd love for every single household today to make sure to grab a bag. There's three different types. There's one that's really heavy that you can keep uh, in your house, and it's a white candle, because the white candle is the Christ candle. There's one that's like this, that sits in a little candle holder. It's long and skinny. And then the third one is, if you're traveling at Christmas, it's the light ones. They're on the far end, so you don't have to put a candle in your bag. We want you to get it. But everyone will have this, and everyone will have a candle. And we want you, on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, with family or friends, to take just a moment to remember not what you're bringing to God, But in Jesus, what God has brought to us, what God has brought to us. Let me pray for us.